talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, oh, yeah. the barber, and the new. We're back with you, and I'm going to tell you something, folks. From Boston to we got you. plenty of years of baseball experience on the show tonight. My 19, forget about it. I mean, that's that's a bunt compared to who I got on. Woo! How about 35-plus from Barry Bloom, who's a national writer, and couldn't wait to get him on a show because I just knew that he just came from the general manager's meeting, which was right down the street from my house, or is right down the street from my house. I haven't even smelled it. Never wanted to even stick my nose in the door to see what was going on. So, Barry Bloom's with us. Jamie Moyer's with us. If you don't know that that name, you haven't been watching baseball. Because this guy put in 25 years. 25 years in the big leagues as a pitcher. He's only one of 25 guys that played four different decades. I got to tell you, that's major, major, major. So, lots of experience. Welcome to Dirty Kurtz Dugout. This is Kurt Bavacqua. We've got another episode that we're going to throw out there for you, and you're going to love it. And go to Patreon. Support us. Patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. Check it out. And tell me what you think. I'm going to get Barry Bloom on here right away because I have to talk to him about certain things that are really important and going on in the game as we speak. <laughs> Barry, how are you? Hey, Kurt, what's going on? Thank you for coming on, sir. I know it's a busy Anytime. time. So from what I understand, you just came back from the GM's meeting. Uh, yep, just drove back uh, across the desert. From San Diego to Phoenix yesterday. Do you realize how close we were? I mean, I literally live right down the street from La Costa Resort. Uh, um, we should we could have been out at a bar somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, you and I have uh, been known to <laughs> hang out at bars together. That's pretty funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> so tell me, and everybody listening, in. Difference of the winter meetings, what actually are and what goes on during the general manager's meetings? Uh, you know, I actually like the general manager's meetings a lot more than the winter meetings. <laughs> it's more intimate. Uh, it, it's only been recent years where uh, the media has really started covering it. I mean, there was a time where I just go to general managers' meetings, and there were like five people there, and it was great because you know you'd go to the hotel, hang out at the hotel. The general managers would hang out at the bar. Of course, you know that was the days of you know when general managers were like KT and Walt Jockety and Ned Coletti, and you know it, 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 it was. You know, uh, Jim Hendry, it was all pretty personal, and uh, and we all liked hanging out with each other. And as as we've had the transition over from, you know, those guys to the geeks, 
I don't think you know most of us have you know those kind of relationships with 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 with, with the general managers of this era. You know, Theo kind of bridges the gap, uh, and you see him around him and Jed Hoyer around a lot. But you know, AJ Preller and Andrew Friedman and you know Stearns and. You know, you go down the list of the young, you know, now Zaidi, who's with the, went for the Dodgers and the Giants. You really don't have the relationships, or I don't anyway. And I don't see them mingling much with the people. And they've got their own, like, <clears throat> place where they can go, you know, drink, and they, they don't go mingle much in the hotel bars. And you get them for, like, one session every day, which is a good session. It's like an hour of just roaming a room and, and getting what you need out of each of the general managers who show up that day. And it and, and gives you more contact with these guys than you normally get at the winter meetings. The winter, winter meetings, you know, as you know, it's run by the minor leagues, the National Association, major leagues come in, you know, everybody by that time uh, in uh, early December, mid-December, you know, free agents have gone off the table. There's some deals done. You know, they've, they've cemented what they've decided to do at the general manager's meetings and early going. And they've non-tendered the people they're going to non-tender. And so they're really looking at that point before Christmas to, uh, to start putting together the roster, you know, because spring training is about two months away. And so it's a lot more formal and there's a lot more individual meetings with teams. <laughs> so you don't see guys around as much because they're in agents with rooms and other general managers, and you know every team has got its meeting with with their own beat writers. You know, like once a day. I was going to say, wait a second, Barry, we need to talk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with with all of that said, with the manipulation that's going on a yearly basis, either one way or the other, uh, we go from uh, free agents having to get together and work out in Florida last spring to what supposedly, in your mind, is going to be an active free agent market this year, is our game heading in the right direction? Well, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a loaded question in terms you of... You better believe it's loaded. You know, I mean, what are we talking about and how many different ways is it... When you have 17 out of 30 teams that went down in attendance and you had two teams in particular... That went down over eight hundred thousand in attendance. No, it's not going in the right direction. And when you have teams, you know, so many and so many teams tanking and just not even competitive. Basically, you start spring training and then you start the regular season. And you know, the old adage is everybody's competitive when you start the season, but it's not true anymore. I mean. A great majority of the teams in Major League Baseball. I, I think the biggest issue for Major League Baseball is is, is 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 putting competitive teams on the field in just about every market, and that's not happening. If you looked at what happened last year in baseball, it, I think the National League was the weakest I've ever seen it. The top five or six teams, and I'll throw in Tampa and Seattle into the mix there in the American League, were all in the American League. And, you know, and then the Red Sox wound up running through, you know, the Yankees and the Astros, who had comparable 100-win seasons to the Red Sox. And then they basically brushed aside the Dodgers, who were not even in their, in their league. 
And so, and no National League team was in the it was in the Red Sox league or the Yankees for that matter or the Astros. And okay, so attendance. If you look, at, if, you look yeah, if you look at attendance, and you look at the the comparables to teams that are quote tanking in the parlance of our time, it was a direct relation. People in cities just said, "We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to pay major league prices." For teams that are telling us, you know, maybe we'll win in four or five years, depending on how our draft picks go. They just said, come back to me in five years. And that's the biggest problem baseball has right now. I think there's another one, and I'm going to talk to you. This is going to be the last question I ask you before I let you go. Um, Did analytics take a step backwards uh, with the showing in the World Series this year of obvious moves? that couldn't possibly be being made by somebody that played the game of baseball for a long period of time? Well, uh, I think that, you know, to broaden it out somewhat, you know, I, I, I covered three teams and, this year that I thought analytics cost the Diamondbacks, the Yankees, and the Dodgers the ultimate chance to win mostly because the analytics don't take into account the fatigue level, the human element, all those things. You just basically look at a chart and you say, gee, what worked in June should be working in September when guys' arms are about to fall off. And so you're in a situation where, you know, between, you know, Milwaukee deciding that it had to bullpen the Dodgers series when they had four competent starters that they could have run out there and let pitch five or six innings, you know, and they did in a couple of games. But when you throw Wade Miley out for one batter, pull him out, throw in another guy, have Wiley come back in the next game, I think that ultimately, you know, that was analytics, and I think it ultimately cost Milwaukee the season. And then if you look at the Dodgers, you know, basically you're saying two years in a row their analytics told them that you know, Rich Hill needs to come out of the game early, and so it cost him game two of the World Series when they pulled him out after 65 pitches in the fourth inning. This year, when he could have kept going and they knew their bullpen was spent, especially after an 18-inning game the night before, you know, then you look at it and you go, well, let Hill get himself in and out of trouble and see how far you could go to that guy. So you only have to use Kenley Jensen for a couple of batters, not for two full innings. And I, but uh, conversely, if you look to the Red Sox, the Red Sox have the analytics package and they present everything. They give it to Cora, and then Cora manages the way he wants to manage in and outside the box. You know, he threw a bunch of left-handers into his lineup in Game Five against Cor- against Kershaw. You know, he did the same thing against. Uh, you know, he shuffled up his lineup. In Game Three of the chip, of the division series against the Yankees, against Severino, and he basically took guys off the bench who hadn't played. You know, Brock Holt winds up being the first guy who gets a cycle in history. So, I mean, you see where the game is evolving, and you know how it's a copycat game. You know, there are teams that now are going to look at the Red Sox and they're going to go, "Well, this is the way we need to do it. We've got to come back from the total analytic approach." Because the Red Sox, it doesn't matter that the Red Sox probably had better talent than anybody else, but the approach they used is going to be, you know, the future. 
and not the strict analytics. So to the premise of your question, I don't think it t- the analytics took a setback, but I think what it did was it was a further step in the evolution of where it's going. Barry, as usual, uh, a wealth of information. Uh, at Bloomsky on Twitter, if you want to no, follow Bloomsky, Barry. No, 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 Bloom. No, it's no L. Bloomsky. What did I say? Bloomsky. You said Bloomsky. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, whatever. They'll find you. If you throw it, it's it, Bloomsky. Yeah, throw why, why, why did you leave the L out, by the way? I always wondered about that. Uh, you know, it, it's really not a, uh, you know, a, a, a really crazy story. It, okay. It, you know, when, when I, my nickname, and you might remember it from even covering a time that I, I was bo- always Boomer. And, right. And uh, when, a- when AOL came around, you know, I went to just use Boomer as my uh, sign-in name, and uh, it was taken. So I was playing around with Boomer 1, Boomer 2, Boomer A, <laughs> and I landed on Boomski, and, that's, and that became my secondary nickname. All right, there you go. All right, explained out. So at Boomski, B-O-O-M-S-K-I-E. Follow him on Twitter, uh, Forbes.com. Barry writes for uh, for that, and uh, he is the guy. Boy, he's been in the business a long time. You'll uh, you'll enjoy his articles and the things that he puts out there. So, Barry, thanks again for your time. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, we will be continuing here with Dirty Kurtz Dugout, minus Barry Bloom, who I thank immensely for his time. We'll talk to you soon, Barry. Thank Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Barry Bloom. Boy, he's a dandy. He was, uh, he was the beat writer for the San Diego Padres uh, for uh, quite a few years when I was playing here. And I guess you could say that him and I really didn't see eye to eye when it came to certain things. Uh, he was always uh, looking for the scoop because of the competition between the morning and the afternoon edition of the paper. Uh, he wrote for one of them naturally and uh, the other people that were around the ball club uh, wrote for the morning paper. And uh, so Barry was always trying to get an edge. He'll, he would have done anything to get an edge. And, uh, and he went out there. He went out there. Uh, so much that he got in trouble with, uh, with a few of us at uh, one time. Uh, I mean, not the kind of trouble, law trouble, but just trouble where we wouldn't speak to him. You know, it's not very often when you can introduce someone on your show and say he had a 25-year career. Now, I'm not talking about completely. I'm not talking about as a player, as a manager, as a front office executive. I'm talking about as a player. In any sport, hell, in any profession, (laughs) you got somebody that spends 25 years with a company, they get a gold watch. Well, Jamie Moyer spent 25 years in uniform as a player. Only one of 29 players in the history of, of the game to play in four decades. Now, let me explain that a little bit because a lot of people are going to say, wow, four decades, that's 40 years. Well, I looked at the list 
a while back when I knew Jamie was going to be on the show and I knew this was going to become a topic. And I would have to say, and you can check check me out on this, that 75% of the guys that are on the list out of the 29. So, you know, let's say 22 to 23 of them. Their first year was the last year of whatever decade that they started in. So, in other words, 69 to 90 is a four-decade career. They played in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So, if you played from 69 to 1990, you're a four-decade player. And that is unbelievable. It is awesome. But there's only a couple of guys on this list that are just stupid about it. And when I'm when I say stupid is they started in 66, Nolan Ryan, 86 for Moyer, but they didn't finish until 2012 and 2013. In Ryan's case, it was four years into the decade that he finished as well as starting. Uh, four years before the end of the last year of the decade. So uh, it, it's crazy the amount of time that this guy has spent in the baseball, and we're going to welcome them sh- to the show right now. Jamie Moyer, how are you, my friend? Great. How are you, Kurt? I'm doing fine. Here, here's how to meet – Jamie and I know this. Here's how to meet a former Major League player, folks. Uh, just go to a youth travel ball game. <laughs> that that's the way that's the way you meet a former major league player. Yeah, I ran into Greg I ran into Greg Olson one month and then I turned around and uh, I'm sitting down in my chair and I'm kind of keeping on myself just like this guy does. Uh, this guy is Jamie Moyer, former major league player, 25 years, unbelievable. So I hear this guy talking to two women, and <laughs> he's just you know he's chatting away and uh, and all of a sudden I start picking up on the conversation and I'm thinking to myself. This guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And he, so he's talking to these ladies. And, you know, all women that are into uh, their travel ball kids and what to do next and all are inquisitive. They're going to ask anybody that will answer any questions. And these two women were in the Jamie that day asking him questions. And he was offering answers. And I find out it's Jamie Moyer. And I go, wow. So I run into Greg Olson. Uh, who spent a lot of years in the big leagues, and then Jamie Moyer, who I heard lived in the San Diego area. But I'm so glad that I ran into you, and thank you so much uh, for giving us uh, your time and coming on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. I love talking baseball. Jamie, tell me, tell me about uh, in researching uh, different things for the show. <laughs> oldest active player in 08 became the oldest Philly to ever get a hit. Oldest MLB player to drive in a run. I mean, what's the old thing going on? I mean, yeah, you played I for so long lot. that you got yeah. this old thing. It'll probably never be broken. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be broken or not. Records are made to be broken, in my my in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, when you, I found out towards the end of my career the word old was used a lot. And uh, when you play long enough, you break some records because you're old. <laughs> so, 86 is your first year. Yes. And your last year went into 2013? 12. 
Okay, so 2012, and yes. it, it ended with the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies. Yep. So you went from Philly, and you played in. Uh, oh, you, actually, I, I Chicago missed, first, right? Year, well, I here's I signed in '84. Was the sixth round pick of the of the Cubs? Right. Got called up in '86. I'll try to do this quickly because it takes a little while. Yeah, I know. I know about that. Through uh, '88 with the Cubs, got traded to the Rangers '89 and '90. Got released. Got picked up by the Cardinals. Went to spring training. Uh, made the team out of spring training. Got sent back to Louisville. Played there the rest of the season. Got released. Went back to the Cubs. Went to spring training and got sent down to the minor leagues. And uh, I would, they were told me they told me I was too old at that time. I was 29. Uh, they offered me a coaching job, and uh, I turned it down because I felt like I still had some something to give to the game. And I uh, went to Toledo, pitched in Toledo, uh, let me see, I think June, July, August, and became a free agent, signed with Baltimore as a free agent, went to big league camp, didn't make the club, started out in Rochester, started out 5-0, and Arthur Rhodes blew out his knee, got called up, I went 0-3, I won five games in a row, pitched in Baltimore, uh, 93-4-5, and uh, became a free agent, went to the Red Sox in 96, the trading deadline got traded to the Mariners. Played with the Mariners from '96 to 2006, August to 2006. Got traded to Philadelphia. Uh, played there through 2010. Blew out my elbow in 2010. Had a Tommy John. Missed 11 and pitched a little bit in 12 with the Rockies. And and you did something that blew me away when I saw it. What? I mean, <laughs> What's that? it just absolutely blew me away. You actually went to play winter ball after you had been in the big leagues for 23 years. Well, see, what had happened is I hurt my elbow. Okay. And I, I had a, uh, they called it a grade two strain of my uh, uh, ulnar collateral ligament, a ligament. And, you know, a doctor's not going to go in and cut it, right? And so what I did is I rehabbed it for three months. So I missed, uh, I missed, missed three months of the season. And, you know, who's going to sign a player that might be hurt and might be in or might be might be healthy? So I had to go down to the to I had to I chose to go down the to the Dominican, and I was going to make uh, three or four starts. And my first start, I pitched an inning, I felt great. Second in, second time out, I uh, went pitched two innings, I felt great. Next time out, I went out my second inning and I completely blew it out, tore everything. Plus, I tore my flexor pronator. So now I knew I was uh, broken, and I came home and had uh, a Tommy John uh, surgery and a flexor pronator surgery at the same time. So at, at it was age, worth it. at yeah, you actually, I mean, everybody writes you off at that time, right? Oh, I was written off at thirty-two. <laughs> so you go on, you go on, and uh, you have the ability to tell people that you've given up more home runs than any pitcher in Major League That's Baseball, correct. and you were that released by the Texas Rangers after just a few years in the big leagues. Yes. Yeah. Isn't, isn't yeah. life beautiful? Yeah, it is. You know, second, and especially in Major League Baseball back then, I don't know so much as you may have, you may not get so many second chances in the game today the way the, the game is being uh, 
managed and played and, and you know, because there's so much, the, the game is turned into such a youthful game. In my opinion, uh, you know, you see far more younger players than you do uh, players with a lot of service time. Uh, you know, there's just some guys sprinkled around, but think about back in your, in, you know, back when you played, how many guys were around that had a lot of service time and, that was really it was something clubs really cherished. That's true, right? Because that really helped the, the you know the 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 guy with the experience was really able to help the younger player, and it and it really allowed a clubhouse to be uh, I'm going to say a little more commonsensical, I think. And uh, you know, when young kids come to the big league, they just don't quite understand what it's like, and in a lot of cases, a lot of them have never failed. And learning how to deal with failure, in my opinion, is a big, big hurdle that you have to get over in the major leagues because you are going to fail. I don't care who you are. Boy, that is such a good point. And I tell you what, it's not just in the major leagues. Kids kids need to learn how to how to deal with failure when they're playing the game of baseball because I think it's it's more of a, a knock in the jaw to them than it is to us at the professional level. Right. Right. Oh, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. And, but you know, when, you know, in our world today, we want everything to be perfect and uh, we know that it's not going to be. And, you know, especially now it's any kind of a professional athlete, you're under such a microscope uh, on and off the field. So, um, you know, dealing with that, it can be very difficult, and you know I've seen a lot of very good players in, over the course of my career go through some large, large struggles because they didn't know how to deal with failure, and some of them never became, you know, never got back to the levels that they once were, and some of them it takes a long time to get back to them. And the other part of it is injuries, dealing with injuries, and how to deal with an injury. Um, it's 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 a very difficult thing, and you know. Playing at that level, um, you know, there aren't many players that go through a whole career without having some sort of an injury. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Boy, you waited a long time. You actually dealt with some injuries along the way, but none that knocked you out of the game, at least you know, for a I while. Really knock, knock on wood, and I, when I say wood, I, I knock on my head. Um, <laughs> you know, I never had it. I can. I didn't. Well, I didn't have a surgery till the latter part of my career. I had several surgeries uh, in the last three years of my career, but I was, you know, 46, 47, 48, 49 years old. So, you know, I, the way I look at it, I got a lot out of this little body, and um, you know, I, I learned. Um, oh, I'm going to say maybe in the middle of my career, I was able to play with some very veteran players. Uh, like a Nolan Ryan, uh, early in my career, I played with a guy by the name of Andre Dawson, who I just one of my favorite players all time. Nolan Ryan, obviously, and these players I'm mentioning, you know what they did on the field speaks for itself. But what I learned from these men off the field, in the clubhouse, in the weight room, uh, conditioning was you know things that I will never ever forget and I try to give that back when I'm around youthful people um, that want to learn the game because it takes a lot of effort a lot of effort and it's not just during the season in the off season as well and actually there's as much in my opinion there you have to put more effort in the off season than you do in the regular season because when you walk in the door of spring training everybody's ready to go 
And you got to find a way to stay healthy because if you're not healthy, you, number one, you're not helping yourself, but number two, you're not helping your organization. So if you're on the disabled list, you're cons- you've, you've seen it, and you probably were there as a player yourself. You become invisible. Nobody wants to deal with you because you're not helping the club. In this last World Series that we watched just a month ago, uh, mm-hmm. by the Los Angeles Dodgers, that just there's no way yeah. in God's green earth that Dave Roberts, with as much experience he's, he has under his belt in the game of baseball, mm-hmm. would have made those moves. Right. There's just no right. way. Yeah. And it's a shame. And they continue. Yeah. I think I'm hoping that analytics took a step backwards because of what happened. This last October and November. I, I, I agree with you, but I think clubs have so much invested into that right now that they're not going to. It, and it's okay. I, I'm all for knowing as much as I can possibly know about the players, about the pitcher. I mean, I wish that I knew yeah. as much information right. uh, as these guys know today. I used to just have to watch. I mean, right. I teach well, my I mean, kids yeah. that watch and, and it stays in my head. Right. What is that called? And in instincts? There you go. That's that's one. That's something that's been lost in today's game. Our instincts. Nobody plays instinctually anymore. So it's so it's it's just it's a shame. Difficult. I mean, yeah, it's yep. it's uh, it, it's too bad. Especially, right. you know, I don't think the average fan gets hit as hard in their gut as we do when we're sitting watching a game right. with one right. of the I stuff agree. that happens with yep. all of the not all of the stuff, but some of the stuff. That, that mm-hmm. happens in the mm-hmm. game today because you can really tell the difference between the managers that are able to manage, and there's yep. very few of them, mm-hmm. and the guys that get the orders to do what they're supposed to do, and they go out yep. and do it. I mean, it's yep. it's just yep. uh, it's too bad. Well, and, you know, and you know, and you can look at things on the field where the, you know they've taken the collisions away at home plate, uh, the sliding at second base. Uh, we now have, uh, you know, we just say, hey, we're going to intentionally walk somebody, and the guy runs to first base. You know, it doesn't happen a lot, but every now and then there's an errant throw by the pitcher to the catcher on an intentional walk. You've just taken that out of the game. That's, that's, a, that's a strategy. That's part of the game. That's a skill. Even though you think, oh, well, you should be able to do that, you're right. You should be able to do that. But every now and then, and, and, and now that makes a difference in a game. Now maybe I don't have to bunt. Right? But or you know, but I Machado's mean, the only one who knows how to bunt. Yeah. He, he <laughs> I, I fell off my chair when he bunted that night. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, I agree. That was yeah. amazing. But and it, but it made him look like a genius. I, I know, up, no kidding. You know, and I, and I think that right there should you know prove a point too that you know what when you're when you're struggling at the plate as as a team, you know, when you put the ball in play, you're forcing the defense to do something, right? That's and true. you know, you've played the game long enough, you've watched the game long enough, and, and your listeners have you know have listened and watched the game long enough. You know, when you when the defense has to make plays and, and make decisions, you know, good good things can happen for the offense. Well that was right? the only smart thing that Manny Machado did this October. Yeah. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I agree. But I agree. Let, let's yeah. go back to what you said about everything that the game's given you. Uh, and mm-hmm. 08, uh, you won the World Series with the Phillies. But mm-hmm. in, in 03, you made the all-star team with the Mariners. Um, mm-hmm. The Mariners, I would think, 
just from an outsider's view looking in, I would think that if I'm going to ask Jamie Moyer what was the best time of his career, what are you going to tell me? Well, I'm going to tell you the World Series. I mean, to me, that's what I, I – I played my whole career for that – well, it ended up being a five-game series, but, I mean, to be in a World Series. I mean, think about it. When you're uh, an 8-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid, a 12-year-old kid, you start to understand baseball and you watch baseball on TV and you listen to baseball games on the radio in the car or in your bedroom at night, what do you do? You dream, Right. We all dream. Yep. We all, as, as human beings, we dream. And I loved, as a kid, I loved baseball. And I still do. But I had a passion for baseball. I didn't understand it or realize it at those ages. But, man, you know, I grew up watching Steve Carlton. It was my idol, okay? Left-handed pitcher. He pitched in Philadelphia. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I had the good fortune of meeting Steve Carlton when I was in college. Oh, and lo and behold... My first major league start was against Steve Carlton, and I beat him. <laughs> you know, my career my career could have ended that day. I didn't really care, but you know what? There, all the experiences, and I mean, you know, the World Series to me was winterly. Obviously, you want to win it, but to get to a World Series, I I, was, I had the good fortune to start Game Three. I pitched decently. I came out with a lead. We gave up the lead, but we came back and we won the game. Most important. You know, but having that opportunity, it's something that, you know what, you can take all the money, you can take the World Series ring, but you can't take the experience. And I look back over the course of my career, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. A lot of downs, but a lot of ups. Oh, yeah. You know, and you think, you know, playing the World Series was, was really cool and winning a World Series, but something that I never expected, the parade in Philadelphia the day after was even more special. It was <laughs> unbelievable. You know, Philadelphia is a tough sports town. They'll let you know, um, you know, if you're walking crooked, you know, they'll, and boy, I learned some new words there when I was in Philadelphia. Um, but I'll tell you what, I never saw so many people so happy and literally people sitting on the curb crying because they were so happy. And it just, it was just a feeling of an accomplishment that we did as a, as a team, as an organization, and you know, sharing it with the fan base was just really, really healthy and a great way to put an, put an end on to a World Series championship. Jamie, I, I certainly appreciate your time. Uh, oh. I hope to see you t- soon, too. I know we're going to run across yeah, each know. other somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we will. I'm going to I'm going to be down, down in, I'm going to be down in uh, South County uh, first thing in the morning with my younger son, so Okay, good. Uh, the one I that played on the team, the same team that uh, that uh, that that we were on. Okay, they're good. they're uh, they're playing in a tournament, uh, or at least okay. one of the clubs good. within okay, the tournament. Good. So, um, well, good. Well, good luck to you. Pat, I appreciate that. Have a great winter. All right. And uh, and right. again, you I appreciate well. your time, and we'll talk again oh. soon. Any any time when I can find time to get on, I'd be more than happy to do this. I, I know you it. and your Thank eight you. kids. I didn't even bring that up. We didn't have time for the eight kids. We'll talk about that next time. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Take care. Jamie Moyer, let me throw this out for you. You think some of the stats that we threw out earlier in the show were crazy? Listen to this. At the time of his retirement, Jamie Moyer had faced 9% of all 
major league hitters ever. Ever. Can you even imagine? Unbelievable. 9%. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. Hey, we're going to continue to look into this October 2nd article that Sports Illustrated put out about the United States Department of Justice looking into corruption in Major League Baseball's recruitment of international players. And fingers have been pointed in this deal, folks. This is not something that, even though I think they're sweeping some of it under the rug or they're keeping it on the logo, it is something that's going to be serious. Especially if they get some people for some serious crimes and they start the rat. We all know what a rat is. We watch enough mafia movies and Sons of Anarchy. You know what a rat is. You know what a rat isn't. Well, if you get somebody in the corner hard enough and you can throw enough stuff at them, they're going to rat. They're going to give it up. That's what this is going to end up with is somebody's going to give it up and they're going to give up a bunch. We've got guys out of the game. Out of the game. Copalella, the GM of the Braves, John, banned from baseball. Banned from baseball for life. Wow. And the team lost 13 foreign prospects during that part of the investigation. There's been fingers pointed at the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Sports Illustrated is not going to come out with these teams' names unless they know for sure that there's something going on. Numerous emails, documents, videotapes, photographs, confidential legal briefs. I mean, how do you get in touch? How do you get a hold of those? Copies of players' visas and passport documents. And this is the best one. Internal club emails. I don't know how you get in touch in a hold of this stuff unless there was a rat. Do you think the guy from the Cardinals that was caught for investigating hacking into the computer system of the Houston Astros team, do you think he might have given up some information in the certain teams? I don't know. But that's the kind of situation that I'm talking to you about is how people will become rats. This guy's out of the game forever, too. Can you imagine? I mean, we've got one guy out there that was a player that's banned from the game from life. And we all know that's Pete Rose. Banned from baseball. I just named you two that have happened in the last four years or so because of the stuff that's going on in the game today. We're going to stay on it right here on Dirty Kurt's Dugout. This is Kurt Bavacqua. Don't forget, write a review for us. Whether it's at iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or elsewhere, we're all over social media. 
You can go there and make comments. Keep listening to the show. Keep supporting us. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Until next time, this is Dirty Kurtz Dugout saying goodbye, everybody. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was